Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me at 9394 Podcast. I am Travis Roy. I am joined today by my really good friend, Christian Harriminski. He came to my house to, in person, talk about the classic 1994 Green Day album, Dookie. Extremely influential in his life and, you know, you could say the world's, (laughs) Uh, at least it's musical life of the 1990s and beyond. Now, here at 9394, I really strive to do the best I can with the audio quality. I am a pretty amateur podcaster, frankly, but I do my best and I prioritize quality. But that said, I also prioritize the content. And I had a really good conversation with Christian that night. In fact, I had a really great night with Christian that night. Christian and I recorded this episode and then hung out for several more hours talking about Green Day and about life and our friendship and punk rock. And we spilled all the motherfucking tea. And like we kept saying, you know, of course, that doesn't leave this room. It's one of those kinds of conversations. So what you're hearing here is the tip of the iceberg of a really great night between two old friends. But since we were kind of celebrating that Thursday night or whatever it was, I may have made some sort of error on my end. I can't quite figure out what I did, but I can only assume it's operator error. The audio file for my recording got fucked up. So his audio came out great. He sounds wonderful, but I sound like I'm underwater. So I was able to kind of salvage it the best I could. You're going to hear stuff that I would ordinarily cut out so you could hear what I'm saying. So it's not the ideal audio situation for this podcast. I ask that you uh, maybe, you know, indulge me a little bit. Forgive the lack of audio quality on this particular episode. I, I guess it's punk rock to have a kind of fucked up episode, maybe. I don't know. But bear with me. This is not the norm. But I do appreciate you listening. Here's me and my good buddy Christian talking about Dookie. your dinner. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Touched your wet napkin. <coughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Thank God you edit this. If you would, explain to everybody listening, how do you and I know one another? High school, more or less, as far back as, hmm, 
1997, I would say. It's when I first kind of started into that group. Okay. I was definitely a later addition to the posse of people. I mean, I would have met you when you were a freshman in 95, right? You were a freshman in 95? Yeah. I was a transplant to the Heartland area in 94 when this album came out, Dookie. And I didn't know anybody. Freshman year, I was definitely kind of a loser. But by 95, I was in the punk scene a little more, and that's how I kind of met you guys. Right. And that, like, that's what I mean. Like, we may not have been friends, but I was yeah. of you because like, we were punk rock high, Heartland. Mm. But you know, I knew the other punk rock kids. You know, I knew who you were even before we were friends because like, you know, I knew who Eric Cloutier was. And I remember you were hanging out with him. Yeah, him and Charette. And Brad Erson was my best friend at the time, and Good he dude. didn't get along with a lot of you guys uh, well, for would, one reason or another. I would say more like we were dicks to him, and he was always very kind, and we were just rude. Yeah, but, you know, that was high school, and uh, <laughs> I never really picked sides because I was friends with everybody eventually. Yeah, and I'm friends with Brad now, I'm happy to say. So that's how we know each other. And then also, of course, I mean, we've lived together. We were in a pop-punk band together. Yeah, 1999, 2000-ish, the Boy Scout dropouts. We played the infamous St. Andrews Hall. The biggest venue I ever played with with you. Yeah. It's an important venue in the Detroit area. I mean, Oh, yeah. We've seen so many of our favorite bands up there. And to be on that side of the stage was really special. It was cool. I was there some weeks ago seeing We Came as Romans, and we were supposed to get backstage, and I feel like I put a sticker in the backstage. I was never able to check if that's still there, but... I do remember seeing the uh, hand-drawn Nirvana yeah. in the green room, which well, that was really cool. I So let's get to the album that we're here to discuss, which is 1994's Dookie. You said that came out, was it February? February 1st, I believe. So how did you come to this album? Rack in my brain. I know I owned this album around 94. I couldn't tell you when, but I definitely ordered it in one of the 20 discs from Columbia House. I got, I got Green Day for a 20th of a penny and a bunch of other albums I can't even remember. And this was the only one that I kept this whole time. I think I still have the original disc that I had from 94. But yeah, that was my first delve into the... I'm going to say punk. I'm not even going to air quote, you know, punk music. Uh, Other than what maybe I'd heard on Police, maybe on the radio at that point. You hadn't listened to, like, your plot and stuff. Dookie was my first Green Day experience. Was it your first punk experience? Boy, probably. I don't know any other bands that you could consider punk that I had been exposed to. And I was not exposed to much because my parents were very strict religious Owning this album was, I had to hide this for a while and tell them, like, I got rid of them all. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It was bad. But yeah, you know what? This might be my first punk album. My parents were like, ah, we really don't like, they saw the monkey holding a handful of feces on the cover, I think, and they were just like, what is this? There's like a Jesus walking around here. What is this music? I don't know. So I found other avenues through Tooth and Nail Records. Uh Uh-huh. 
MXPX. Somebody introduced me like, well, if, if your parents won't let you listen to Green Day, you can listen to MXPX. I'm like, yeah, it just sounds just like Green Day. Yeah. They were around the same time. I mean, they're very much a contemporary of Green Day. Yeah, for uh, the most part. Yeah, I'd say so, I think. Yeah, they're about um, the same age, I imagine. So in doing this podcast, on one hand, part of me wants to just talk about my favorite albums. And then the other part of me is like, well, I have to talk about the most important albums. You know, and this is one of the most important albums from the era. In fact, again, to quote Wikipedia, it's <laughs> supposedly one of the highest selling albums of all time. It's a Grammy award winning album. It won Best Alternative Album <clears throat> of the Year. It's appeared on multiple lists of like most important albums of all time or like of the 90s, that kind of stuff. But to me, take all that stuff aside, I believe, and you are just confirming it for me, that a lot of people did not even understand like punk really as a genre when this came out. I think it really kicked the door down for a lot of people. Would we have had Blink-182 and all these other bands after that? I don't know in terms of like the popularity. Popularity for sure. What did we have by 94 as far as punk? And I'm now doing air quotes because I would put like early Nirvana in well, a punk genre, but really... I mean, Operation Ivy was out. Rancid's Let's Go, I think, came out that year. Yeah, but they Strung weren't... out, released um, Another Day in Paradise that year. Yeah, but were they main... I'm talking they mainstream. Yeah, they weren't mainstream. Mainstream, yeah, none of it was as mainstream. far as punk goes, like, well, let's say distorted guitars. Right. Nirvana was very dirty sounding. I will say, and I might be biased because <laughs> I was a really big fan of them early on, I feel like Social Distortion was pretty famous. They were not, like... Grammy winning famous, but people knew them like yeah, they're late known. late eighties, yeah, early nineties, ninety two was a big of, one. They were probably like the most prominent punk band, I feel like, before this. At least that was getting like regular radio play. And um, you could say that and I have no idea because I had no frame of reference in this entire scene. My dad was old school Motown and like Neil Diamond. Mm -hmm. My mom was Beatles and Pink Floyd, and it was it. I don't know that Pink Floyd is the most religious music I've ever heard in my life. Well, you know. What do you think is the best? What is your most favorite song in this album? Gun to the Head favorite is In the End, by far. It's speed, it's the most raw track on the album, and it leads them into their follow-up album, Insomniac, where that whole album is in the end, it's in your face. Because they're old stuff, Kerplunk, mm -hmm. 39 Smoothed Out, all of that stuff was very tame if you listen to it. There's not a ton of distortion on the guitars, mm -hmm. you can almost feel like it's very pop, it's almost country-influenced yeah. a bit, yeah. A good example on Dookie is pulling teeth. They've got a bounce to them. Mm -hmm. In the end, opens a whole new door to their just, I wouldn't say rage, but that kind of angst-driven... The heavier side. The punk that I know, that kind of speed, and not quite double bass speed, but it's driving. And since you mentioned a double bass speed, since you're more familiar with Green Day, I figure you're the person to ask, is it widely recognized that Trey Cool is an incredible drummer? No, he is the most underrated drummer possibly ever. He's incredible. In rock. He is always on time. His fills are immaculate. I'm a huge, huge Green Day fan. 
have been since this album, mm-hmm. almost 30 years. They taught me to pick up a guitar and start a band, basically. Yeah. I was like, I want to be that dude with the messy hair, and I want to fucking zip up hoodie. <laughs> so I used to watch and listen to a bunch of B-sides and show videos that I could find. You'd have to go to the record store and find like the Japanese version of an album. And I would go and I would buy $30 albums that I already owned because there was one song on there that I didn't have. Live shows, live performances, the dude never fucked up once. He was so good. And I want to get in later, Mike Durnt might be the most underrated bass player of all time. He's really fucking good, dude. They're a really strong three-piece. They are. And they've been a three-piece until... I think 05, they added a oh, guitarist yeah, to do album work eventually, but mostly live stuff. They stepped out of the punk genre by Nimrod for sure, mm-hmm. which was 97. Mm-hmm. And then by American Idiot, that was a whole like opera in a sense. They swing in all sorts of different genres. And yeah, they needed just a bigger sound mm-hmm. by that time. But yeah, as far as a three piece goes, dude, these guys are like. I would put them in the top three all time. Listening to this album, that was one of my main takeaways. It was like, holy shit, this drummer in, in particular mm-hmm. is just really on fire. Just tight and probably never played to a metronome. I can't imagine. He's just got that natural yeah, kind of... They were signed they were like 17 years old. Yeah, right? and Trey wasn't even part of the band until Kerplunk. <laughs> was a single until I saw that on the Wikipedia page. I'm like, I have no recollection of that being a single at all. And I really remember all the other singles from this album because they played the fuck out of them on the radio. And that's why I can't stand Longview, Basket Case. Welcome to Paradise is actually a retrack from Kerplunk. That's a song they had. When I Come Around, it's a good song, but yeah, you hear it a billion times and i just those are the four she is in my top four okay so you're saying that's the underrated one yeah i would agree with you even though it is a single not not a lot of people go to it and it is a really good song it's really well structured it's got nice movement starts slow and kind of but still driving Mm -hmm. and then it just blasts you with that guitar but it's not overall it's something you could have played for your mom and she'd be like oh okay you know this doesn't hurt my ears necessarily exactly yeah (laughs) it's references to masturbation in that yeah it's almost kind of a sweet song you know it's like a love song from billy joe in an album that is heavily reliant on teenage angst and Mm -hmm. sexuality and boredom whatever else hate a lot of hate like his first big time like well take his first few songs um having a blast uh or no a little problematic you think well yeah yeah (laughs) Holy so burnout i declare i don't care no more right so okay so he doesn't care second song uh having a blast taking all of you down with me (laughs) Explosives duct taped to my spine. Yeah. My girlfriend broke up with me, so I'm going to blow everybody up. It's not a good song. Right. 
And then at least lyrically, third song "Chump" opens with um, "I don't know you, but I think I hate you." <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so his anger. first yeah. three songs, he's so pissed at whatever, just yeah. life, teenage angst. Yeah, his mom's boyfriend, girls, the fact that he's sitting around, you know, watch the tube, but nothing, just boredom. Stone and beaten yep, off. Yep, stone beaten off, doing nothing. What's the uh, least good song on this album? You, you named like the singles as songs that you skip, but if you can try and think like objectively, if that's the I would try. Is there a least good song on this album? And I don't think we should include uh, I Was All By Myself, because that's clearly just like a fuck off kind of like what yeah, song. Yeah, it's a screw off song. I was all by myself. All by myself. All by myself. Pulling teeth comes to mind. I'm all busted up, broken bones and nasty cuts. That's probably my least favorite, and that's the one that harkens back to their earlier shit. It's that really bouncy, poppy. It's the least, like, if you took that off the album, the whole album would make a little more sense, I think, as far as the tone. Because everything else is a lot more, uh, I don't say angry again, but, you know, raw, distorted driving but it's also a really well polished production right i mean it's a very smooth very like it does sound polished that is yes their tone eh, some of the mastering i could be like in the end Mm -hmm. is a lot quieter than uh coming clean for instance and coming clean is also a great song i you know what i think coming clean might be my underrated i want to talk about that song i mean this is a band that has three bisexual dudes in it, which is not something you get very often in a punk <laughs> rock band. And they were announcing this as early as 1995. And in this, de- not debut album, but like breakthrough album. Right. This song is pretty clearly, but not overtly, but it's about him coming out to his parents, which I think is pretty punk rock. For sure. That's very cool. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a good song. But as far as like tonal qualities and polished, that song is louder like physically louder than in the end, which I feel like in the end, had it been louder, uh-huh. would have that bigger punch because that is the fastest song in the album. Yeah, that's nitpicky, but it's okay. It's polished, but it's still raw in that sense. I imagine a lot of people listening will think that I'm crazy for saying this. I think to me, there's a really clear and obvious least good song in this album. Like every time I listen to it, it really stands out to me when I come around. <laughs> sound bored they sound like they played that song a million times and they're sick to death of it yeah it's very mechanically good right and obviously it's melodic good on some level because oh, it was a huge single just a huge single but like i mean it's just it's very repetitive and like oh, and it becomes not... repetitive to the listener that's one of my least favorites it's just the same riff over and over again kind of yeah it's, it's just a li- it's a bit earwormy and that's about it so much diversity on the rest of the album like Longview for instance as being not just a single but being 
unique, right? To have that really thick bass line, it feels so different from other stuff on the album. And a lot of the songs feel distinct from one another. Mm-hmm. That one, to me, kind of, it, like, it feels like they're trying to make a single a little bit. Longview? No, I'm sorry. Uh, not Longview, but... Uh, Basket Case? When, when, I, come when I Come Around. Yeah. Although you gotta give them huge credit for having one of the, like, I think their first single was Longview, right? And it's about smoking weed jerking off I think it was if it wasn't Longview it was Basket Case and I I have you know what I know Basket Case was the breakthrough that was the one that like made them really famous I got it right here Long, Longview was yeah, the first was and first. then Welcome to Paradise so Basket oh. Case was third When I Come Around fourth released December yeah she in May of 95 no recollection of that that's interesting that that would be allowed on radio at that point I mean yeah. early 90s so. Wasn't that loose, as far as I knew. And he's talking about how he smells like shit. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> to draw it out, and they would never bleep it. Masturbation is very clear, as you can hear it. I mean, I think on Could, MTV they may bleep that. They bleeped it on 89X, and... and the riff or wherever they played it locally it was master they would just kind of like squeak the middle to kind of trick you i guess uh, you're right take one syllable out maybe one more yeah, exactly <laughs> So what is your history then with this album? Because you're not, you were like very, I won't say anti-Green Day, but I would always tell you like, listen to this Green Day. I mean, you're like, fuck that. I'm um, never listening to this. Was I anti-Green Day? I literally had a hat that said, I hate Green Day. That was <laughs> well, how see? I felt. There we go. But I bought the Green Day hat first because, all right, I was 13 when this came out and I was very much in like mainstream music is for suckers mode you know I was like, ah. like you're not listening to codeine you're an idiot you're not listening to you know these immortal souls you fool you know i try to get like as obscure as i could possibly get at that like age. a branch of the people that thought green day were sellouts <sighs> just because the music got popular and they got signed if i had them. been familiar with them before that i probably would have said that right almost guarantee it so like when longview came out i thought it was really cool and i really liked it and then Basket Case came out as a single, and I have a great memory of that. Like, one of my first bands that I was in was with this kid, Eric Forson, and we and he introduced me to this guy named Jimmy Takis. Oh, Jimmy. Uh, an old friend of ours. And he blew me away that he could play the bass line for Longview, and then me and uh, ah. Eric were playing guitar and singing, and I was like, this guy's so cool. <laughs> um, so, like, I had good feelings about it early on, right? Mm. But then after Basket Case became the single of the year maybe. yeah like it's up there got played every hour on every station ad nauseum right before that happened i went to a store in i think the brighton mall and i needed a new hat and there was a green day hat i didn't even own dookie but i'm like i'll take the green day hat because i don't want the acdc hat so <laughs> i had the green day hat but then i suddenly felt like i hated them so i took a white out oh so it wasn't an actual i hate you like, I you made took, it. I literally to took say. a legitimate Green Day hat and white out and wrote, <laughs> I hate on it, so everyone would know how I felt. And I you guess. know what? That's so punk that people probably went, that guy likes Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a great fashion statement. I remember in 97, 
time of my life being on the radio. I, I drove mm. like 45 minutes one day and I heard the song like three times on the radio in that 45 minute block. And I'm like, I'm never listening to the radio again. Yeah. I pretty much never did. You're right. I was really anti Green Day for a long time. No, um, and you know what? That makes sense because I don't like those songs necessarily either. And Green Day's in my top five all time bands. So, you know, yeah, time of your life. Um, it's okay. It was, was it was out. it our I think it was our our class song? Yeah, it was yeah. our class My song. Class and I was bummed. If I were a freshman and knew like Green Day is gonna be your fucking mm. class song when you graduate, I'd have been like, fuck yeah. And then it's like, oh it's this song. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good ratings. Alright, yeah. And I, but I like the lyrics. You listen to it. I hope you have the time of your life. Yeah. No, it's meaningful for the time yeah, and it made sense. I'm sure it's yeah, everyone's high school song. And I'm so fucking glad the radio is failing right now because look what they did to beautiful music. They yeah. made us hate it. Yeah, well they either overplayed it or made it so you could only listen to like rapper countries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I I have come to respect Green Day. Absolutely. I would not have them on the show the album on the show if I did not acknowledge both that they were culturally really, really important. And actually good. Like, the album's actually good. I'm not going to listen to it all the time. Like, it's not something I'm like, okay, I'm suddenly a Green Day fan now. Right. It's good driving music. Yeah. It's good upbeat kind of feels. And it's nostalgic for me in a way that, like, is kind of weird because I really wasn't into it, the album, when it came out. But, like, I was fully aware of it. Well, it brings all those memories of every time you heard it in a friend's car or on the radio in a store. It takes you back to that. You know, mid '90s feeling, which is what this podcast is all about. <clears throat> it just takes you back to that era. And having listened to this now, I get to see Green Day in October. That's They're cool. playing When We Were Young Festival in Vegas. Great. And I've got tickets. I've got a hotel room booked. And I haven't seen them since they played Warp Tour in like '03 or '04 or '05 or I don't know. It's been a minute. My wife just saw them last year. They came through and played Comerica Park, I believe. And she sent me a little video of it. Dude, they sound fucking awesome. And I'm very excited. So, yeah, it takes you back to that 8th, ninth grade for me. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes you think, what an asshole kid I was. Or, you know, just, <laughs> it's kind of fun going back. And, and I, yeah, the album, if we're doing like a Does It Hold Up, this album is all, yeah, you're right. It's a great album. It sounds good. It is good driving music. I wouldn't say it's timeless in a sense that in a hundred years they'll be listening to it and critiquing it right but for our time and place still especially with what's on the radio now yeah it's totally relevant yeah it's definitely an important album so it sounds like there's a period where you've set this album down and kind of not listened to it for a while or is it something that was always kind of a regular more or less rotation for you i mean not counting any kind of radio i mean this is part of the classic rock basically now so yeah. if i've got that channel on and i hear a song will i change it i don't know maybe so you do listen to the radio now sometimes but not really no i listen to um serious i have a serious right thing going on which is nice <laughs> well this got me pumped for green day insomniac 95 nimrod 97 Warning in 2000, which is another very pop album. I kind of gave, I don't want to say gave up on them, but I kind of outgrew this yeah. in like 06. It's rare to stick with a band that's been around for years. Yeah, and it keeps going. I mean, they've got new shit, and I've heard songs, and I like a lot of what they play. Like, this was exciting to do. Yeah, 
fuck. Now I'm gonna go down a Green Day rabbit hole. That's what I want you to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a few. I'm gonna make you a little mixtape, my friend. I would love it. What tracks should we use to send you out on for this conversation? Boy, should we do the underrated coming clean? I'm gonna leave it in your hands, friend, because okay. that or in the end, I was gonna pick because it's my favorite. But if you think coming clean is an overseen gem, I'd love to play it for the folks too. You mentioned Mike. What's his name? Mike Durnt? Mike Durnt. Uh, as we were saying with Trey Cool being one of the most underrated rock drummers of all time, Mike Durnt is the most underrated bass player slash second. Like, he's a backup vocalist, and he's been nailing it for 30 years now. If you've ever seen them live, watch any of the videos on YouTube, whether they're playing a stadium show or Conan O'Brien or Letterman or any of it, he's there on time with this kind of rhythmic step to him. He doesn't miss a beat and he hits, for the most part, every backup vocal that you hear on the album, he'll hit live. Mm -hmm. And it's just, no one talks about the dude. And Billy Joe's this front man, this asshole. But the other two, and Trey's kind of a goofball. He'll jump over shit and break stuff. Uh, and that's his shtick. But Mike Dirt just kind of stands around and is just like, cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. He's just there to fucking have fun. Yeah, do the work. And on to the next. And boy, I'd love to see a list, like a Rolling Stone list of like best bass players, where he would even fall mm-hmm. on like even a top 20 list. Mm-hmm. If he'd even make it. You know, and not because he shouldn't, because I think he is severely underrated. I would say as a huge fan of Green Day, knowing, I'd say, 80% of their discography at this point. You know, I've been out of the game for a few years, a few albums anyway. Yeah. He's standout here. Go back, listen to anything on She, obviously. Obviously, Longview, uh, Sassafras Roots, End of Welcome to Paradise, you can listen to that entire album and you'll hear Mike at one point with that. And it's he's got the, his own tone mm-hmm. and that pick style is just so distinct. There's a lot of three pieces, I think, that would over-rely in the studio on multi-tracking the guitars. Guitars especially, yeah. Filling everything that way and making them sound thicker and richer by putting in, I don't know, 72 guitar tracks or something. Exactly. But they don't do that with this album. He carries the day. He really does. Like yeah, that. there's not a lot of over tracking with billy joe i think they thicken them up they probably put them oh, through sure. two tracks yeah. in each speaker yeah. but yeah durant isn't too low in the mix but you can hear him every step of the way and, and yeah he's amazing little noodler what else are you listening to lately i listen to the 40s on four this is a serious radio station this so is a serious radio station who's so favorite, it's who's your favorite 40s performer i don't know because it's all just random shit that I've never heard before, and I'm driving usually, so I don't even, I can't even look down to see who's playing. I've been listening to just random metal okay. that my wife's been, just whatever's on, again, serious, but it's all, you know, new shit. I just like to hear it. I don't follow it anymore. Yeah, there's no message for me anymore gotcha. in, in much of the lyrics. I went through that maybe mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago. 
I had all that. Once I had a kid, mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about whatever anyone else thinks. You know, I'm here to teach her, and Laser I don't want to be biased by, you know, the dipshits that think they have some message this millennia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's nothing new. I'll hear it and I'll go, oh, that sounds vaguely of this thing that I liked 15 years ago. Like even all the metal now, dude, that I listen to. I mean, it's good and it's, yeah, Bad Omens, dude, they're fucking awesome. They got, they're blowing up. He's got a great voice, but that's all reminiscent of shit like Under Oath and stuff I was listening to back in the day. Take you back. Jurassic Park. Clever girl. Oh, no. That's how you Yes. All right, so we're back in 1994. Okay. You are hanging out with your religious family. You've hidden Dookie <laughs> underneath the bed appropriately, <laughs> along with your wank material or whatever. Your family's going to take you in out. In the to... register of my <laughs> event. Uh, your family's going to take you out to dinner, and you get to choose. You get to choose between one of these five now defunct. Defunct franchises that you can no longer go to if you wanted to. Your Ponderosa. Ponderosa is still around. Mm. Ponderosa, there's still like, I, really? I checked, there's like 56 is there one, Isn't there that one in still in Southfield? I don't know about that one specifically. Thanks. Your options are as follows. Kenny Rogers Roasters. Get some chicken, think of Kramer. Yeah. Have a nice time. Never had it. You can have Chi-Chi's, a celebration, well, celebration of food. A celebration of food. It's a celebration of food. Chi-Chi's a celebration of food. Dude, I don't know. You need to go any further. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> but wait a moment, because you haven't heard number three. Number three. Now, technically, Bennigan's owns the rights to this company, but they closed the last one, I want to say, like 2006 or eight or somewhere around there. Steak and Ale. Steak and Ale? Remember steak and Ale? I do. I don't know that we were ever a family of Steak and Ale. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have gone with my family either. But once I hit 21... I went to steak and ale, and I was very happy. Was there I, ale? Was it like yeah. a bar? Kind of like, it a, like a... It's like a steakhouse. Kind of like a Bennigan. Yeah. yeah, but they were focused on, well, you know, steaks and ales. They had really good beer. And... I feel like it, was it a family restaurant, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it was, um, do you remember Bill Knapps? Oh, Bill, yeah. Bill well, Knapps I used to go... Possibly. I used to frequent that place with my Nana. We'd always meet Nana and Papa. So, right. you know what? Maybe oh, Nana and Papa damn. join you over at Bill Knapps. or Bill Knapps. And then the last option, which I was actually kind of surprised this one closed down... Uh, I think I even worked here for like a weekend, or maybe I'm thinking of Texas Roadhouse. Uh, Lone Star Steakhouse and Saloon. Lone Star. They're gone? They're gone. Wow. They're in existence. So well, if you were in no. 1994, you go to any one of these five restaurants, which one are you choosing? Gross. Oh, man. Rogers Road. 94. Cheese, steak and Ale. Bill Knapps. Lone Star. Knowing Steak-Nail. what I know now. Sure. I'm a 41-year-old living in a 14. 14-year-old's body. No, you weren't 14, because I would have been 13 when this album came out. You would have been like 11. 12. Well, no, 94, I was 13. February of 94. So what was I, 12, officially? I was 13. Ah, oh, you know what? I'd love to see my Nan and Papa. So I'm going to Bill Knapps, even though Chi-Chi's was fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm going to Chi-Chi's. <laughs> I'll see you, asshole. <laughs> Bring me back a Mexican fried ice cream, please. <laughs> please. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming. Yeah, hell yeah, man. This is super fun. Thanks for doing this. This is this is a fun idea. Glad you joined me and I hope you come back. Hell yeah.
So that was me and Christian Haraminski talking about Green Day's Dookie. What a pleasure, you know, to be resistant to something for reasons, you know, that, that were my own, that felt right as a 13 or 14 year old. And then I guess I just kind of stuck to, I like to say that I'll try anything thrice because you never know your tastes change, you know, how you feel about something changes. You know, there's some things that are tried and true that will always be, I'm not saying like we all just go through these giant permutations, but you never know. You may find yourself going from not liking Green Day to liking Green Day. And I thank Christian for bringing me on that journey. What an apropos person to do that for me because he is a dyed-in-the-wool friend. And it was really great having him come on and talk about something that he loves. So thank you for listening to the two of us. One of the things I love about this show is getting to talk to my dear old friends. So if you want to talk to me, perhaps you are a dear old friend. Or perhaps you're a friend of a friend. Or perhaps you're a complete stranger and you want to come on and talk to me about some random album that you love that came out in 1993 or 1994. You could possibly choose if you felt like getting into the punk rock a little bit more. Perhaps you like the hardcore punk ska sounds of Voodoo Glow Skulls. an album come out in 1993 called who is this is classic in the genre and if it spoke to you maybe you'd like to come on the show and speak to me about it you can talk about that or you can come on the show and talk about whatever other album you want just drop me an email at 9394 podcast at gmail.com or you could uh, find me on social media um you know uh, passenger pigeon whatever I'm around. Thanks. Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.